All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. It is the 16th day of August 2022. We do want to thank our sponsors, make this show economically viable. Today's sponsors, Irving Resources, Noble Resources, El Oro Resources, SK Mining, Timberline Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show, Navigating the Fourth Turning. Doug Casey, Michael Spreadborough, and Michael Oliver return as our guests. Doug Casey is an international man, having lived in various countries and traveling actively around the world. He is a free-thinking intellectual and a very successful entrepreneur. He has talked about the fourth turning in the past on this show, so we're looking to get an update from him on that topic uh, today. But now, as as this fourth current turning evolves from theory into something very unpleasant, as it turns uh, the removal of uh, such things as the removal of our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness toward a life seemingly destined for slavery and service to the state, we need to be concerned about what might lie ahead of us as investors and citizens. Fourth turnings don't have to be bad. They can be good, like the American Revolution that was based on freeing the colonists from the tyranny of King George. But fourth turnings, like the French Revolution, can be downright evil depriving people of their freedom to speak out against their governments and to engage in religious practices of their choosing, if they so choose, or not to do so, if they so choose. But now the direction of this current fourth turning does not look particularly promising. We have seen the Biden administration working with private corporations to silence free speech when ideas expressed do not agree with theirs. The removal of our First Amendment rights is a very dangerous precedent in America, And it is a trend that is spreading around the Western world like wildfire. I'm looking forward to what Doug Casey has to say uh, about where he thinks this political movement is taking us and how we should prepare for it. Doug will be with me in the second half of today's show. One thing we know for sure is that gold prevails as money, while the use of fiat currency issued by dictators like Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Pol Pot all enter the dustbins of history along with those tyrants. But gold always survives them as money. Michael Spreadborough will join me in the second segment of today's show to update us on Noble Resources, that, that company's latest efforts to discover more gold in Western Australia and to return to producing the world's monetary metal once again from its Beaton's Creek gold mine in Western Australia. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me to share his latest thoughts on the markets and all the crazy stuff that's swirling around right now. And I should say, before I say hello to Michael, 
you need to go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to sign up for his excellent newsletter, Momentum and Structural Analysis. Um, it's really been a great one for me, and I know a lot of other people have benefited greatly from it as well. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Good to be back, Jay. It's always good to have you, and uh, boy, especially at times like this when there's so much craziness going on, uh, you sent something out. It was pretty interesting, a uh, comment. You said, what a crock of status BS. Who cares about the secrets of the almighty state? Fine. Like I know where the Pope keeps his underwear now. Who cares? It's all crumbling anyway. After due time to prove its lack of Darwinian viability. And as much as I think Trump is a pile of SHIPU, he has at least served an historical role in dividing what should have occurred already. Let it rip. On the other side, in a decade, we'll be positive. And not just here, but in China and Europe, where natural divorce from what is will also evolve and unfold. End of quote. Well, that's some remark, Michael. I mean, I, I must say, you always uh, express yourself in colorful terms, which is one of the reasons we like to have you here. But it's not only quite a remark, it also ends on an optimistic tone. And sometimes it's kind of hard to see the optimism when we see so much darkness that seems to be going on now. So how do you how do you come to this idea that things are going to get better? Well, uh, rather than talk about markets and technicals this time, I, I'd like to venture into that broader area you mentioned. Uh, uh-huh. First of all, my background, I'm a libertarian, okay? I'm not a conservative. Yes. I used to be when I was in high school, back when Goldwater was around, but I evolved uh-huh. to libertarianism because of influence of Ayn Rand. She was not actually a libertarian. She was limited government, but... Her basic philosophy influenced my life, and I wrote a book uniting her philosophy with Murray Rothbard's Mm -hmm. economics, and he was a father of modern libertarianism, free market capitalism, non-statist society. That book Mm -hmm. was written 50 years ago, and I can't believe that I'm actually going to live to see, I think, the culmination of the trend in that direction. But I think Mm -hmm. we're living in part three of Atlas Shrugged right now. And and by that, I mean, in that part of the book, that's when the events surrounding the specifics of the book, uh, macro trend events, like we had it, they was in in part three, there was a supply chain breakdown in society. Whoa. Mm -hmm. There was a shortage of key commodities. The government engaged in wartime powers, like they did with baby food recently, in order to Uh supposedly fix supply problems. I mean, there's so many Mm -hmm. events that I've that Rand in 1957 when she wrote the book was correct about and it took a while for these events to coalesce and, and generate their their negatives and finally their their solution I think because if you have a negative trend or negative thought reality is going to smack you now mm-hmm. it may take a while but I think we're getting smacked now and a lot of mm-hmm. false assumptions about governments and so forth are are getting their due uh, response. And it's not Mm -hmm. just one side, it's both sides. So I stand as a neutral observer, really, when it comes to the two sides that are now conflicting. Mm -hmm. Sure. I view Trump as as an agent of history in a sense that, though I don't like his policies, he increased government spending like crazy. He told the Fed to print money to go to zero Mm -hmm. interest rates. I mean, this is not free market, okay? But he has created a division that could help bring about a rethinking a redoing because of fracturing of what what has been, and uh, to that extent, I have to tip my hat to him. And I think we're we're in that process. 
So don't just look at the financial markets as, as the the be-all and end-all of what you've got to pay attention to here. There's social impacts. There's going to be political impacts. I mean, just pause and think. Now, I'm, I'm saying this as, as a futurist, let's say, not as a mm-hmm. an advocate. But I, I mm-hmm. can see all kinds of outcomes occurring. And again, I'm not advocating them, but I think they could occur. Uh, imagine this. Trump gets the nomination, and he wins. Can you mm-hmm. imagine the response on the other side? No, the it's hard to, well, would occur. I okay. think, or, yeah, or yeah. Trump loses. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the response on his side? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no outcome here that is uh, benign, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that we, we face a, a bubble event in the markets that is likely to help exacerbate this, and that is we've had a stock market bubble we've never seen before of the size. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's yes. uh, you know, 16-fold increase in the NASDAQ, 7-fold in the S&P. They're coming undone. And the biggest bubble in history. So these will have wave effects as well. So broaden your horizon. Realize the next few years could be very tumultuous, not just in the markets. But there's likely a beneficial outcome because it will cause a massive rethink about mm-hmm. the validity of statism. Uh, mm-hmm. No matter which variant you want to pursue. Okay, so. I'm sort of happy with the events that are occurring. I think they'll ultimately lead to a positive outcome. Yeah. Well, I, I do note that you've been thinking along these lines for a number of years, I think, and I believe that you um, chose to live somewhere where it was a little bit less populated. Uh, is that part of the thinking that some people might want to consider? <laughs> I think a lot of people have done that in the last couple of years. That's why we had the uh, massive movement of, of people of wealth, particularly from very large cities to uh, p- places like Montana and Utah and Florida and Texas and so forth. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but that yeah. wave, I think, has already occurred. So, But uh, yes, I, I think mm-hmm. that a lot of things like that could happen that are correlated to what I've just been talking about, but seemingly disconnected, but they're all connected. Because I think we're, we're mm-hmm. entering a giant philosophical and political and uh, social turmoil which will have a good outcome. Well, Michael, and, well, Michael, everybody's going to need to try to keep warm. And, you know, the, the basic needs of life, oil and food, like energy, uh, number one, I would say uh, food, number one, energy, number two. How do those markets look to you? Very bullish, I guess. It looks I suppose to me like they the still are. Up in the, yeah, the, I think that the focus on gasoline, which, of course, you know, one side is pounding the table about their great success and bringing it down. If, if, even if it just lingers up here, it chokes people, Okay. If oil hangs around between 80, 90, and 100, it's like double, triple where it was a couple years ago. So it doesn't really matter whether it's pulled back. It's whether it just holds up here. Watch natural gas. It's making a move on its mm-hmm. eyes again. That's far more crucial to the world and to mm-hmm. economic outcome. Watch the food commodities, things like sugar that nobody's looking at. Watch the meats. They're pressing up very strongly. Uh, and also watch the new crop grains. Now, new crop grains are well priced below the old crop grains. Why? Because you harvest a crop, and therefore it's a lower price. You've got more of it available. But uh, they look technically ripe to turn up, uh, like watch November beans, uh, December wheat, and so forth. I think that's where you're going to get the next leadership in the commodity boom, is not from the things that everybody's been watching, like oil and, and gasoline. It's instead mm-hmm. going to be natural gas and the food commodities. And that will have a great impact. 
All right, and gold is holding its own. It doesn't go anywhere, but at least it's not losing. And I'm still focused on silver as the likely most massive positive outcome of the next couple of years. But they will both move together, but silver, both in a bull market, but silver usually, right, normally that's what happens. Yeah. Yep. All right, Michael, we'll have to leave it go at that. We're out of time. Thank you so much for your insights. Always appreciated. Thank and you, all Jay. the best to you and to yours. Take care. All Thank right. You. All right, folks. So we uh, do have to go to break, but Michael Spreadbarrel will be back with us to give us an update on Noble Resources and how that company is moving forward and uh, in an effort to get back into production at its Beeson Creek uh, mining project. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Spreadbarrel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to have Michael Spreadbarrow, the executive co-chairman of Noble Resources, with me again to provide us with an update on the progress the company is making on moving its Beaton's Creek Gold Project back into production and doing a whole lot of exploration work throughout vast areas of Western Australia. Michael is a mining engineer, having more than 20 years of experience in mining world-class iron ore, base metal, and precious metals projects in Australia, and he is now leading Novo on what I think will be a very successful road back to production, even as the company is now also aggressively exploring various projects in Western Australia. Before I say hello to Michael, I should tell you the stock uh, trades in Canada under the symbol NBO. You can buy it in the States, as I have, under the symbol NSRPF. 246 million shares outstanding, and uh, last I saw, trading at around 43 cents in U.S. money, uh, giving it a market cap of about $106 million. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, great pleasure to catch up again, Chuck. You know, I'd like to start off by asking you uh, if you can review the reasons Noble paused its production at Beaton's Creek on the oxide project. It was mining oxide material. Uh, and then perhaps talk about the progress that's being made towards moving back into production with the higher-grade fresh rock material that you plan to mine. Yeah, John, I think it's a good start uh, place to start a bit of a recap. So, you know, clearly once production commenced at Beaton's Creek, uh, we saw a shift in the grade profile of the oxide material 
which really impacted the grade being delivered to the processing plant. So that obviously has, you know, two big connotations. It really does impact your dollar per ounce costs for production, but it obviously has a big impact on revenue. Uh, that led to, uh, you know, Novo doing, I think, two really important things at the time. Uh, one was to do more grade control drilling. Um, we closed the patent up to about 10 by 10, and history now shows us that that gives us really good reconciliations, which was good. Um, so that meant that we had a better opportunity to predict the grade of the material coming to the processing plant. But on the back of that information, we were able to redo the economic optimization for the oxide and from that we reported December last year that we thought the oxide would run out in June that's the economic portion of the oxide we've been able to push that another quarter so where we are today um, well in Perth it's the 15th of August but um, seven days from today we'll actually stop mining uh, the oxide and then we will continue for about another four weeks processing all of the uh, remaining stockpiles that we have. So as we announced a little while ago, uh, we're on track to that timetable of almost finishing the oxide phase one of Beaton's Creek at the end of September. So, you know, that was obviously extremely disappointing. I think the lessons for us always has been that with this style of mineralisation, that level of drilling, the grade control at 10 by 10 is so important to the mine plan work uh, going forwards. So, you know, that's why we ended up where we are now in a pause. Uh-huh. And, you know, the fresh is still a good resource. We've talked about this before. It's got high grade. And we're now busy working on the feasibility, the resource upgrade and the feasibility for the fresh material to really understand its economics. Yeah, and I, I believe, uh, you know, you're doing a full feasibility and moving towards production uh, with the fresh rock material don't believe the full feasibility study was done initially when you went into the oxide. I just wondered, uh, do you expect that you'll continue to drill and you know, before you produce on a 10 by 10 basis with the fresh rock? Yeah, very good question. So um, we've drilled a lot of the fresh and we drew a kind of line in the sand at the end of May for the resource update. So we are busy you know, doing that work and we'll release a resource update and that is used as the basis for the feasibility study, which is still aimed to be completed in quarter four this year. And, you know, for listeners, you know, the feasibility will be purely, you know, compliant with 43-101 requirements uh-huh. in uh, Canada mm-hmm. and also compliant with uh, JORC um, in Australia. So we'll have a lot more scrutiny and governance on the work that we do. But we haven't stopped drilling, even though we drew a line in the sand at the end of May for the resource, because it takes a fair while to do it. We continue to drill the fresh, and we will keep drilling the fresh until we run out of material to drill. And, you know, we're doing that at 20 by 20 and 40 by 40 metre patterns for the resource. And we will get to a point um, sometime early next year that every bit of fresh that we know, we will have drilled it out to 20 by 20. And we'll use that to do a resource update. Uh-huh. And then prior to mining, um, as we talked about, the oxide 10 by 10, you know, some three months prior to mining, we'll crank up the drill rigs again and we'll get in and do the grade control drilling at 10 by 10. So it's really important in mining operations that the operators have a really uh, great grade profile and accuracy in the grade going forward so that their predictions 
are very, very, you know, accurate. And that's what that grade control drilling will do for us going forwards once we get the opportunity to restart the fresh mining. Yeah. Michael, I noticed there was a, uh, a news release that Novo put out saying that you wouldn't need, that the government didn't is not requiring you to do a certain kind of assessment work before you can move towards production back uh, at Beaton's Creek of the Fresh Rock. Is that likely to help you um, move more quickly towards production? It uh, most definitely will. So, you know, we need three things to commit as a board to um, taking forwards the fresh. We need the feasibility study to be completed. We obviously need that study to come up with an economic case to start mining. And I do remind people that all of our releases talk about the need for that and the decision to mine. And then, you know, the other big one is we need approvals from the government. And the first part of that was for the Environmental Protection Authority of Western Australia to do an assessment on whether it fitted within their remit of approvals or whether they would just pass it on to, let's just call it the Mines Department. And so they made that assessment and it will now go to the Mines Department. So we're busy putting together the documentation for that uh, and the decision by the EPA of not being involved um, definitely shortens the timeline. Mm-hmm. I, I just note um, in a release in the last week or so, we have noted that a party has appealed that decision by the EPA. So we are working with the EPA on some additional data um, and, you know, we hope that the decision by the EPA is upheld and we can continue moving forwards. But fundamentally, not having to work through the Environmental Protection Act will shorten the time frame for approvals. All right. I'm just wondering how soon, I know you're, you're working towards a feasibility study now, how soon do you think we, the market might get some information in terms of feasibility and economics? Yeah, so um, key going forwards between kind of now and the end of the year, we'll be releasing the feasibility outcomes. Uh, and then sometime, I would think in the quarter one next year, we'll have a better timeline on when we expect the mines department to assess the project. So that'll be the two key things that we all look forwards. You know, how does the fresh look after all of this work and its economics and our current understanding of how to mine it? And then, you know, the timeline to get back into uh, production. So they're the two key things that people need to look out. It is important to remind people we are being very diligent with this process. You know, we've done a complete drill out we're doing the whole resource model from fresh uh, using, you know, new information and we're doing a very comprehensive feasibility study. And that's all about de-risking the project prior to us making the decision. And it also means that we'll have more confidence with whatever decisions we come up with in terms of, you know, shareholders' expectations. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll certainly be looking forward to it. I- you have a, a very aggressive exploration program, and not only around Beaton's Creek, but I believe you're doing some, some work out towards Edgina and uh, Caratha. The Caratha area, of course, is what got the market really excited with all those, those large uh, nuggets that were reported a few years back. Uh, and, and, you know, really looking forward to what you have to say there about your new exploration work that's going on in Edgina. I think it's called North... I forget the name of it. It's it's in the Edgina area, I think, where you're drilling, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, 
I actually spent time on the ground last week, and it was actually a pleasure that Quentin Henney, you know, was able to join us for America. It's the first time that Quentin has been able to get to Australia in two and a half years, given COVID. So um, Quentin and I had some great fun with other directors last week, crawling over our exploration ground. So at the moment, we have one drill rig uh, working at Purdy's North. So that's uh, a block of tenements that sit north of the Comet Well uh, Purdy's conglomerate. And we have a combination of some copper, nickel and gold targets. We've started the drilling on a gold target, uh, which is exciting. But the reason we like that area is we have tenements that to the north of us, there's a company called Azura, which has their nickel Andover project, and they've been quite successful. So we're south of them. And then to the south of us is Artemis, which have also discovered some really interesting copper gold. So we think our tenements are well-placed to see continuation of the geology. So that drilling program's underway which is fantastic. So, um, you know, down the track, we'll get some assaying results. But in Edgina, our Besher project, which we've been talking about for a long time, um, it's really been held up by needing to get uh, heritage clearance from the judicial owners. We now have that clearance. So I would be hoping that uh, later this month or early September, we'll be able to report that air core drilling has started at Besher. And Besha's a gold target, very large soil anomaly. The reason we're excited about it, it sits in the same structural corridor as the DeGray's Hemi project. So DeGray's ASX listed, and it's huge. Nine million ounces is the DeGray's Hemi project, and we have this large soil anomaly to the south in the same structural corridor. So that's why we get excited. So I'm hoping that for the rest of the year from September, uh, up until, you know, the December period where we do stop drilling because of cyclones and hot weather, that Novo will continually have two drilling rigs focused on Greenfields exploration. Yeah. Um, well, we'll certainly look forward to that. It sound like, sounds like some great exploration targets that you've got uh, planning to drill. I, I wonder on the mechanical sorting issue that, uh, you know, a lot of people have been wondering about, is there any uh, any progress to report on that? Look, yeah, nothing's changed from previous uh, recent announcements where we have put the development of the Comet Well conglomerate project on hold until next year just because we're just so focused on this exploration and, and the Beatons Creek fresh. But our intent is to redefine that development project and get going sometime in the first half of next year. I think listeners would probably be aware that we actually bought a sorter for that project, so we're well equipped to get on with that trial. We just need to clear a bit of airway, so we've all got focus on that, but it still remains an exciting part of our portfolio. All right. Okay, moving on to the financial situation of the company, I, I believe uh, you've announced now that you've sold all of the newfound gold shares and have used the proceeds, in part at least, to, to repay or pay the entire amount of debt that you had to Sprott. Do I have that right? Uh, correct. So uh, last week we completed the uh, tranche two, as it was called, for the newfound gold share sale to Eric Sprott. So that went through very successful. And uh, on Friday after uh, close of the TSX market, we announced that we had closed out the debt. So 
Uh, again, investors, if you look on our website or on the TSX, you'll see that announcement. So we are now debt-free, which is uh, very, very good. Um, so, you know, we have sufficient funds to keep on with our development projects for the rest of this year and the early part of next year. So in that regards, we're in a good position, which well, is uh, a great outcome, I think, for the business. You did announce 12,610 ounces of gold production in Q2. I guess there may be some small levels of production yet. You mentioned that you're, you'll stop mining in seven days, but there'll still be some material that's processed through the mill. So we might still see some production of gold yet this year? Yes, no, we um, have forecast somewhere around about eight to 9,000 ounces for this quarter uh, to the end of September, and there'll be a little bit of flow on in October. So, you know, somewhere between eight to 10,000 ounces will be the remaining production. Uh, from Beaton's Creek before we uh, complete the shutdown. All right. Uh, maybe in closing, I'd like to just ask you, like I like to ask a lot of the companies I talk to, what should investors be watching out for? What sort of a share price, potential share price drivers should they be on the lookout for? Without any doubt, I think the biggest driver we still have in our business is this exploration work that we're doing. You know, we have 11,000 square kilometres in the Pilbara, let alone the good work that we have in Victoria. And now that we've been able to clear some of those heritage uh, hurdles and we've got two drill rigs going, um, that will definitely feed, hopefully, good results. You can never, you can never be uh, 100% accurate on exploration, but we have one of the best exploration teams in the country. They have done a great job. We're drilling the right places. So, Definitely the news flow and expiration as we get assays will be the key thing coming forwards. And I do say to people, you know, look out for results back end of September on Besha, which will be exciting. And then in parallel, um, as soon as we complete work on the feasibility study in the fresh, you will see news flow on that output. So that's the two key things that we'll continue to focus on between now and the end of the year. Very good. Anything else to add before we before we say goodbye this time? Uh, no, Jay. I just think it's uh, pretty exciting. Gold prices held up, which is fantastic. Um, for us as a business, shortly we'll be heading off to Denver to the Precious Metals Conference so people can look out for that presentation. Um, and that seems to be, I think, a quite exciting event. Yes, it is. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to make it this year, but uh, it is a very good event. I'm glad to hear you're going there. Well, thank you, Michael, so much for spending time with us, helping our, our listeners to this show get a picture of what's going on with Novo. I know there's some disappointment from the past, to say the least, but I certainly haven't given up. I think this uh, you have a very exciting future ahead of you uh, from what you're telling me. Of course, patience is required in this business, isn't it? You can't snap your finger and make things happen. It takes a uh, lot yeah. of time. Perseverance. But yeah, thank you very much, Doug. Okay, folks, so we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Doug Casey will join me to discuss the problems that we're facing as investors, the inflationary headwinds and other things. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Doug Casey. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Doug Casey with me with me here once again. Doug is a highly respected author. I think most of you probably know him, uh, but if not, he is highly respected as an author, publisher, and professional investor. And most importantly, from my pers- at least from my perspective, uh, he is a lover of independence and, and uh, like he's a thinker. He's a great thinker, and he's a lover of freedom and liberty. And uh, he understands the virtues of free market capitalism and how pathological government interference is when they interfere with our lives. He cherishes freedom, which is why I really love to have him on the show. I, I frequently receive short essays from uh, Doug. Either Doug writes them or he has various other people uh, that write them in Doug Casey's International Man Communique. Uh, they're always topics of interest and, and always um, relevant to whatever's going on in the world these days. Um, one of them that I recently wrote was by that I recently read uh, was by a, a writer for Doug named Jeff Thomas. Uh, he wrote on August first uh, an article navigating the fourth turning. And since America is clearly now in uh, what I think is the latest fourth turning in its in its history, which I see as like the fourth fourth turning for our country, the first one being in, during the revolution, the Amer- the American Revolution. Uh, this is a very big event, a very big deal in my thinking. Um, so I asked Doug if he would come on and be willing to talk and share some of his thoughts about what's transpiring here in America now in these days when it seems as though uh, the liberties that we've taken for granted uh, may, well, not only maybe, but they are very rapidly being taken away from us as it seems. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come on and sharing your thoughts with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back, Jay. Uh it's a beautiful day uh, here in Virginia, where I am at the moment. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I'm afraid that the uh, political and economic and financial and social weather is not so pretty yeah. uh, here in the U.S. or in the world. And it's going to get much worse uh, as we approach the elections. In fact, talking about uh, the fourth turning, I guess a lot of your Listeners are, are familiar with uh, that concept and that yes. book by, mm-hmm. by Strauss and Howe. Mm-hmm. And a great book with uh, a great way of interpreting history. Mm-hmm. But um, 
we truly are at the crisis point in the fourth turning, and anything could happen mm -hmm. uh, at this yeah. point. I mean, I'm very concerned and have been for a long time about the fact that, uh, you know, as nasty as things got during the 60s, late 60s and early yes. 70s, yes. this is much worse. Yes. I mean, the, the, the people in red counties and blue counties, uh, it's not just a difference of political opinions. This goes right to the root of what you think is good and evil. And I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a culture war, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it could uh, it could literally tear this country apart. And we could find that the uh, colors of the map on the wall start running, where uh, anything is possible, from secession movements to. Uh, actual violence. I, I don't know what's going to happen with the election. Uh, uh, any number of things could uh, turn it ugly. Yeah. You mean the the, uh, the interim elections that are coming up in November, and then, of course, the big one in 2024. Uh, Doug, before we go further, I, I want to ask you, because I get these emails all the time from you, um, you know, your, uh, your weekly, I just say, Doug Casey's International Man communique, and I wanted to tell our listeners where they could go to get on that list, and I couldn't figure it out. Oh. Uh, I, ju I just get them. So before we go further, I want people to know that. Where, where can they go to get on your mailing list? I appreciate that, Jay. Uh, just go to internationalman.com. Okay. Okay, very good. Well, I know I've been receiving them for years, and I just <laughs> I could, I said, where do I go to get this? I don't know. So anyway, great. Okay. Well, yes, in, uh, in that book, uh, The Fourth Turning, by Strauss and Howe, they point out that fourth turnings don't have to be bad. They can be good. I mean, we had a good one. Uh, our first, for, first fourth turning in America is arguably the Revolutionary War, I think. Uh, and that was a good one. But then you have things like the French Revolution, which were just downright evil, uh, you know, where people were denied their freedoms and had their heads cut off. Um, but, but I wanted to ask you, Doug, um, if you see it this way, it seems to me that this is our fourth, fourth turning, the Revolutionary War being the first, the Civil War being the second, the Great Depression and World War II being the third, and now this one, which I think has sort of began to turn uh, around 2008 with the financial crisis and with the election of, of uh, President Obama. Do, do you, now, now how, and uh, the, in the book, um, they, were, they were suggesting that it would, and it was written in 1997, that it would occur in the mid 2000s. So I don't know. I just leave it. When do you think this fourth turning began and how, how deep are we into it? Well, I don't think we've actually reached the real crisis point yet. Yes, yeah, right. Worth yet to come. But let me, uh, if I can, put this mm -hmm. into some further context. Uh, when I look at American history, which is what that book, The Fourth Turning, and their previous book, called Generations, Yes, all about. Uh, excellent book. I recommend them both. Uh -huh. um, the way I see things developing is that uh, from some points of view, the personal freedom point of view, uh, mm -hmm. American civilization really peaked uh, about 1910. Because then in 1913, the Federal Reserve went into existence. The income tax came into existence. Uh, World War One locked the country down, and it's been a steady degeneration of personal freedom and a very, very steady growth 
of government uh, in the U.S. Uh, for the last 120 years. Few people, few Americans realize that uh, before World War I, uh, there were almost no federal taxes or almost no federal interference in your life. Mm-hmm. There weren't all these regulatory agencies. Uh, there was no income tax. The government generated uh, the income it, it needed or wanted from basically, uh, in fact, entirely uh, import duties and excise taxes. But now, uh, from control- controlling a, a couple of percent of the economy, the U.S. government controls 50% or more. Mm-hmm. And 50% or more of the people in this country are net recipients of benefits from the government. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a formula for disaster mm-hmm. and chaos and actually violence, too. Mm-hmm. Because the people that are paying the bills don't like it. And worse, the people that are getting the goodies resent the people that are paying taxes and don't think they're paying enough. So I anticipate a real upset uh, for the rest of this decade. Yeah, it, uh, it doesn't have to turn out bad. Um, it, it's going to be rough no matter what happens is what I hear you saying. Uh, Michael Oliver was on us on with us the first segment, and that was his his take as well. He thinks it's going to get really rough, and then he looks forward to a new slate uh, down the road. I don't know. You and I are pretty much the same age, Doug. I don't know. We hope to, to see a clean slate sometime and peace again. Uh, maybe you could just go through what are the uh, sort of characteristics of the four turnings. So these turnings are usually, well, they're generation long, so it's 20, 25 years or so for each turning. Hence, every four generations you have one of these major biggies like we're having now the fourth turning uh, just could you go th- through it a little bit the first um the first generation in the new turning in the new cycle um is sort of peaceful i guess it's a good time it's a good time to be alive generally well i think the important thing in that strauss and how book is that uh everybody's aware that things it's like a pendulum going from liberal to conservative. And of course, these words have been misused too. Oh, of course. It used to be liberal meant freedom oriented. Mm-hmm. Liberal comes from liberty, but uh, the meaning of that word has been totally transposed. Uh, so, okay, that's fair enough. People see that parents. Uh, uh, Children revolt against their parents, and then when they become parents, their children revolt against them and back and forth. Okay, that's fine. But the um, but the Strauss and how I have uh, break it break it into uh, four parts, not yeah. just back and forth, liberal and 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 conservative, right? And um, the way it comes down, it has to do with the way the financial markets work, mm-hmm. uh, whether the country is ready for a war, wants a war. Uh, uh, so it's it's uh, it's a sociological thing, uh, yeah. As well, now defining their their four things, I hate to I categorize. Hate, I, yeah, I hate to go into their their book because I yeah. think that it's it's it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But the way I see it, 
we're actually uh, on a long-term degenerative slide. So regardless of how this current crisis works out, the fundamentals of the country uh, have eroded over time, where we have a gigantic amount of debt in the country, Mm -hmm. which means some people owe a lot of money to other people. Mm -hmm. That's a time bomb that's ticking. The fact that the government is spending well over a trillion dollars per year, more than it takes in from taxes, and taxes are high and going up. And what do they do? They sell that uh, their debt to the Federal Reserve, which prints up money, literally, well, by depositing Federal Reserve notes in, in the U.S. government's accounts at commercial mm-hmm. banks, and then the government uses it to pay their bills. It's... Uh, in almost every area of society, things seem to me to be coming unglued. Uh, even in the military area, I'm not just talking about the fact that uh, that wokeism has mm-hmm. overtaken the U.S. military, mm-hmm. but uh, the fact that we're involved with combat troops from small to large uh, agglomerations in over a hundred countries around the world today. Right, right. I mean, right. sticking our nose into absolutely everything, uh, sending, I don't know what the current number is, $60 billion to the Ukraine, which is actually not a, it's hardly a real country, but it's certainly a black hole uh, for funds, as Joe and Hunter Biden have, have proven. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like a locus for for washing money as opposed to anything else. Uh, is there anything good going on in the economy right now? Well, stock market's doing well, but that's, to my, to my, to my view, it's mainly a consequence of printing money, which yeah. has to go somewhere. Well, for sure, and that's what keeps this market elevated and overvalued compared to anything historically. Uh, it, it, now, I, I'm gonna go back a bit, uh, Doug, you know, you mentioned 1910 and then World War One, the Fed and the income tax. Uh, we didn't have any income taxes until until then. Uh, before that, it was just excise taxes, uh, taxes on tariffs, uh, tariffs, I guess. Uh, yeah. And so, to, to what extent do you think that somebody somebody wants wars, and who wants wars? Who 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 benefits from wars? Look, I think we. Why are we still doing what we're doing? We're in a stalemate with this Ukrainian thing. And all it's really done, the sanctions we put on, and all it's really done is caused us to pay for energy through the nose. Uh, it's caused, you know, food prices, uh, you know, all manner of, of problems, uh, shortages on, you know, on the supply side of the global economy. And then you, of course, add all this money that's pumped into the system to give people uh, money that they can't pay for these higher prices of whatever is, is you know, out there on the market. Uh, but to what extent, I mean, it seems to me that... that there are people that profit from wars, and they like it that way. And I can't imagine—I can't imagine how we can end this war right now. How we can—it seems to me that we have to have wars to keep the cash registers of the military-industrial complex ringing, as Eisenhower warned us about. Any thoughts on that? Well, it's been said that a war is the health of the state, uh, and it's—and it's true. Uh, there really is such a thing as a military-industrial complex, and I'll go further than that. Uh, there really is such a thing as a deep state 
These are people that uh, they're, a prof- they're a class of professional parasites that live in and around uh, the government that uh, inhabit the Beltway, the Washington Beltway, and uh, a city that produces absolutely nothing except regulations that make it much harder for people to, to do anything out in the hinterlands mm-hmm. and produce new laws that they have to abide by and new taxes that they have to pay. So these deep state people, they're not all government workers. Some of them, I mean, it's heads of major corporations, heads of universities, uh, top media people. um, They're all lobby. Yeah. They're, they're, they're people that need state power to uh, become more powerful and wealthier themselves. Right, right. Yeah, there's a reason why that area around Washington keeps getting bigger and the richest counties in the country are now around the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, Doug, you... It doesn't really matter whether Mm -hmm. we're talking about Democrats or Republicans. No, I agree. It's a uniparty state. It's right. Uh, It is a uniparty state, and they're trying to make it a complete uniparty state, I think. I think that's what we're looking at right now. It seems to me they would like to make sure that there's no aggregation or no aggravating people around like a Donald Trump or any of us so-called um, uh, deplorables, I guess. Any deplorables. We must get rid of them all, right? Uh, yes. And it's, it's very disturbing the things that uh, have been happening since the uh, Biden people have been in office. Uh, I'm uh, listen, I was no fan of the. Uh, uh, Bush administrations, either one of them. Yeah, I know you weren't. No. But, but uh, frankly, these Bidenistas are are overtly dangerous because they have the same psychological makeup and the same basic political philosophy as uh, the Bolsheviks in mm-hmm. Russia in 1917. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say the same things, uh, or the Jacobins in France, or mm-hmm. for that matter, uh, the Red Guards that led Mao's great cultural revolution in China mm-hmm. uh, in the 60s, or for that matter, uh, the kind of people that took over Cambodia under Pol Pot. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people all think the same, and they want to be in control. I'm afraid that they'll do whatever they think they have to to maintain control. And it's really dangerous because they have control of the apparatus of the state now. Yes, they do. Yes. Yes. There's it's no accident that uh, that a CIA head can go before Congress and lie under oath and get away with it. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty obvious right now that the entire apparatus, as you say, is now lockstep with this whole. Uh, vision of of a unit party system where there's no dissent but um, for that matter you know Doug we never were supposed to be a democracy were we the word is the word never appears in the Constitution we were a republic and now you see them wanting to dismember all of the safety guards that were in place that kept us from from killing each other I mean if you have a, if you have a democracy, 51% of the people can do whatever the heck they want to 49 to the other 49%, right? 
Well, I, I've never been a fan of the democracy because oh, I know yeah. it's really just mob rule dressed up in a coat and tie. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I, look, the the government that governs least governments best, and I don't see how we can change the direction of this country where most of the people uh, are living off uh, the. The, the less and less members of the middle class are able to produce effectively. They're up against the wall financially. Uh, they're being, if they're successful, they go into the, it's um, one of the problems that we have, Jay, with the way the government works today is that uh, this thing about a sham and people's rule and got to, uh, the sham of the people ruling, and we have to defend our democracy. Actually, the government is run by agencies. Right. Actually have a life of their own. Right. And I'm especially concerned by what I call the Praetorian agencies, like the FBI, mm-hmm. or for that matter, like the CIA, which is a, um, a power unto itself that I'm sure generates uh, in lots of ways hundreds of millions or billions of dollars for itself and its employees Mm -hmm. offshore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who knows what happens there? Uh, It's even happening with the military. On the one hand, it's becoming extremely woke. And on the other hand, uh, you've got got the special operations groups run out of places like Fort Bragg that um, actually live in a world of their own pretty much the way the CIA does, mm-hmm. uh, but under the cover of, you know, working with and around the government. So uh, this United States that's evolving now is not the U.S. that we grew up in at all. No, it's not. And uh, which, with just a couple of minutes left, uh, leads me to ask you and, and to refer to an article that you wrote uh, titled, Doug Casey on the Rise of Alternatives as the U.S.-led global order falters. Uh, my engineer is telling me we have three minutes left, so maybe you could, or two minutes actually, comment on that article, uh, because I think what you, what you were talking about was the decline of the U.S. geopolitically and economically and socially in almost every way, and that that's going to have ramifications for how we invest our money, obviously, as a dollar ultimately going to post. Well, I've long been an advocate, as you know, Jay, of diversifying Politically, uh, mm-hmm. it's wise to diversify financially, of course. Mm-hmm. You don't have all your eggs in one basket. But uh, it's uh, more important in many ways to diversify politically so that if things go wild and crazy here in the U.S., uh, you've got a bolt hole elsewhere. Now, I know that for the average American, that's not a realistic thing to do. Mm-hmm have a a vacation home in a second country. And and today, it's increasingly impossible for an American even to have a brokerage account or a bank account Mm -hmm. in a foreign country. So we're increasingly trapped uh, like lobsters in a lobster trap. I mean, most Americans are unaware of the fact that if you were accused, not adjudicated, but accused of owing the U.S. government $50,000 in taxes, that they will cancel your passport. And I know people this has happened to. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It, it is the way it is. And I know, of course, you've been an advocate of hard assets, uh, gold and silver and, and real estate and whatever you can afford. But also, uh, I suppose it makes sense uh, to not make political enemies as well. Well, I've done plenty of that, frankly. And personally, this is why I live outside of the U.S. more, <laughs> more than half of the year. Because uh, in today's world, almost anybody can become an enemy of the state. Like yeah. the, the people that were involved with the Canadian truckers uh, thing uh, some months back, uh, there were 300,000 people uh, whose names were given to the Canadian government that uh, contributed to the truckers and so forth. And they're like on a naughty list in Canada. Yeah, they're enemies of the state. Exactly. All right, we're, we're going to have to leave it go at that, Doug, because we're out of time. But I want to remind people it's Doug Casey's International Man, and they can just go to where? Uh, Doug Casey, what was the place to go to? Just go to internationalman.com. International, internationalman.com and sign up for Doug's almost daily, isn't it, Doug? Almost every day? Yes, it, it is every day. And right. I'd like to, you know, it's too bad we don't have time for me to mention the, my novels. Uh, oh, well, which, well we can, I, I say a lot of things in in fiction that you actually dare not say. All right. Well, we'll have to talk about that another time, Doug, and we can do that if you want to. So, all right, folks, we do have to go, though. That's it for today, all the time we have. Next week, Brian London will be with us, Chen Lin as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 